Keen? Is it Keening? Is that Keening? Actually, yeah. A word? Or is that an autocorrect thing? No, that, that's correct. Keening? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't have pets, so I know <laughs> nothing. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I am the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 29-year-old man who has never read the Percy Jackson books before, but I'm reading them now for the first time as an adult to see if this is a book series that we've all just been sleeping on as a society. I'm not on this quest alone, though. I'm joined again by our guest from last episode. You know her. You love her. You may have listened to her wonderful podcasts made with atypical artists such as The Bright Sessions, or you've read one of her three books. It's <laughs> Lauren Ship and Lauren, how's it going? It's going so good. I'm so excited to be talking about more Percy Jackson. Yes. It has been so long since we last spoke about Percy Jackson. So a whole five minutes. Literal minutes have passed, but... <laughs> The listeners have had to wait a full week, so I think we make them wait no longer, and we continue <laughs> our journey by covering chapter 18, which is called Annabeth Does Obedience School. I just wrote, well, I have no idea what the heck this is about or what's about to happen. Cool. It's perfectly phrased where you don't know if she's going to be teaching something obedience or if she's a student in obedience school. I love the ambiguity. The choice of does. So powerful here. Yes. It's doing so much work. So they're at DOA Records on Valencia Boulevard. What's Valencia Boulevard like? Is this a, a sketchy street or just a notable one? I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure that's a real street in West Hollywood. Whoa! Uncle Rick, no! I was like expecting it to be on Sunset because like Sunset is where a lot of the music clubs are. There are a couple of, of studios there. There might be a Valencia Boulevard, but like it's not a significant street if it exists because it's certainly one that I never encountered in my eight years living there. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical that it's real. All right. I have Googled Valencia <laughs> Boulevard in Los Angeles. Oh, there's apparently a business called Pumpernickel Pictures, which is a portrait studio on Valencia Boulevard. I have to see where this is. It says it's near College of the Canyons. Oh, it's in Santa Clarita? That's not Los Angeles at all. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Rick. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a real thing in, in West Hollywood. There's a Valencia Marketplace in West Hollywood, apparently. Although, I don't know. I've never been there. But sometimes with books, they like make you change the names of things to, like, sidestep legal things, kind of. Is the street going to sue them? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the street name is a weird one, right? Like, the problem would be if, you know, DOA Records was named after an actual record label office, right? But, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he made this particular choice. That is very interesting. I'm also imagining DOA to be, what's the record one that just looks like a bunch of stacks of records in Los Angeles? Isn't that a building? Like, the circular tower one? Yeah, that's Capitol Records. Yeah, I'm basically imagining DOA is that, but it just looks like the Eye of Sauron on the top to show that it's evil. <laughs> that's so funny. I was picturing, like... The weird, unlabeled, sort of slightly dingy on the exterior record labels Ooh. that are on Sunset Boulevard, where it's like maybe there will be like a logo like in like the frosted glass, but there's like no identifying signs or numbers or anything. Mm -hmm. um, you just like kind of have to know. And then like the front entrance doesn't even work. You have to go through like the back. Like that's what I was picturing. I've never dropped tracks in a record. The closest I got was recording songs with my hip hop improv troupe in Seattle, A Tribe Called Yes in the sky's 
garage that he turned into a recording studio, which was very fun. And our raps were very good. Uh, but I've never been to like a recording studio thing where they, you know, push the button and stuff. Though I did um, a couple voice acting things with the Long Story Short folks. And it was mm-hmm. in this fancy recording studio in the basement of some place in New York. So I guess I kind of have. Yeah, look at me go. I have done it. Yeah, I think that. Can. Well, and you're sitting in a studio right now. Yeah, but it's like cooler and nicer and it's homey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the best studios are the ones that are homey, right? Like the mm-hmm. soulless VO boots and stuff that I've done some stuff and are terrible. Like I want like a nice like rug, you know, in the studio. We have a nice rug in the Multitude studio. The Multitudeo has a lovely rug. See, that's the vibe. <laughs> you want a rug and you want some plants. And I know, I know the Multitudeo has plenty of we plants. Not quite. in the studio proper, but. Right. We used to have a fake plant in the studio proper and then all the real plants in the office exterior area. Next time I'm recording one with you here, I'll I will I'll bring in a fake plant to make you feel like <laughs> a plant that I can look at. <laughs> so they're on Valencia Boulevard, which doesn't exist. And the doors say no solicitors, no loitering, no living, which okay. <laughs> like, also, not to be all like, uh, you know, I know West Hollywood and I've lived in LA for eight years, but like this legitimately is something that like one of the like places in West Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard or Melrose would have to be like quirky and funny. Like I would not be surprised if like a tattoo shop on Melrose has that sign. <laughs> it's very extra. Yeah. It is midnight, but the place is bumping. And apparently, according to Annabeth, they have a plan, but they haven't told us the plan, right? There's a plan that has not been disclosed to us. No, the plan has not been discussed whatsoever. Great. Percy does know what it is. Yes. Percy has a plan and we learn later, but yes, at first I was writing in my notes, they haven't told us the plan, right? (laughs) I know my reading comprehension skills can sometimes come and go, but I feel like I don't (laughs) recall a plan being described. I feel like I would remember this. So PJ has his three pearls in case something goes wrong. They go inside, and when Percy looks at the people inside, they become transparent if he looks at them directly. So my two thoughts were, okay, they're either fake or dead. One of the two. We will soon learn. They approach the security guard's podium. Narrator says, quote, He was tall and elegant, with chocolate-colored skin and bleached blonde hair shaved military style. He wore tortoise shell shades, say that five times fast, (laughs) tortoise Tortoise shell shell shades, shades. (laughs) and a silk Italian suit that matched his hair. A black rose was pinned to his lapel under a silver name tag. And now I thought here, okay, never mind Krusty. This is the vibe. This is the Halloween costume. This guy is rocking it. This is great. I also love that Percy... Knew that it was an Italian mm-hmm. silk suit. <laughs> He's so good at knowing clothes. He yeah. knew that Clarice was a triple XL, and now he knows that this is an Italian suit. Yeah. His superpower is clothes. <laughs> and I thought it was funny at first where he said that the suit matched his hair. I thought a blonde suit, but I'm guessing it's just cream colored, which is a normal type of suit. Right. But at first I was like, what? A, a bright yellow suit? What? <laughs> so man, get his ass. Now, here's something I found very interesting. His name tag says Chiron. And I thought, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. And at first when I read this, I thought, does he mean Charon? Because I know there is a Charon. And then that's exactly what happens. Lo and behold. (laughs) Percy asks, is that really your name? And in an accent that Percy can't quite pick up on, but he thinks may be British, but also as if he learned English as a second language, he corrects that his name is Charon with an A. And... 
This is where I recognize Charon. If anyone was wondering, wait, how did Mike know about Charon? No surprise. It's in Hades the video game. I think last <laughs> episode was the only episode of the New Olympian where I did not reference that. But yes, Charon is in Hades the video game and he is so laughably different from this Charon. Oh my God, he amazing. Is so incredibly different. And I will describe that in detail. But Charon says that he hates being confused for Chiron the centaur. And he asks, how can I help you? And he then calls them little dead ones, which is very funny. Very good. And very creepy. Super creepy. Annabeth says that they want to go to the underworld. Charon finds it refreshing that they are so willing to go to the underworld. And he asks how they died. Percy nudges Grover. Not a cool move. You can't just put someone on the spot like that. No. Especially not Grover. Yeah, especially not Grover. Not a good improv move at all. But also not to Grover. No. You are the better improviser, Percy. Grover says they drowned in a bathtub. And Charon says, all three of you? And they nod. And then Charon goes, big bathtub. <laughs> It's so good. It's so silly. I love it. So goofy. He asks if they have coins for passage, noting that for adults, he just adds the fee onto their American Express bill, which I thought, oh, is this sponsored content? (laughs) Did American Express go, hey, Uncle Rick, we'll cut you a check if you name drop our company as opposed to any other credit card company. (laughs) So he either adds it to that or a cable bill, but kids never die prepared. He says that they'll have to take a seat for a few centuries. And I thought, for what? But later we get the explanation. Percy says that they have coins and he hands over some drachmas that he took from Krusty's desk. I like that he stole from Krusty. That is very Mm -hmm. good because Mm -hmm. he didn't do that fully from Medusa. I think he stole (laughs) enough drachmas to mail the head, but he didn't take everything, which I thought, dude, she tried to kill you. You now have earned access to all of her things. That's how the world works. You can take it all. (laughs) Charon is excited at first because he hasn't seen real golden drachmas in ages, but then he realizes something must be up. And I thought, well, yes, this was a huge boneheaded move. If they had any sort of human cash, should have tried to go for that first. But yeah, how's a regular person going to have drachmas? Come on, Percy. Especially children. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's a dead giveaway. Yeah, huge. Uh, dead giveaway. Uh. <laughs> but I'm... So Charon asks Percy if he is dyslexic because he couldn't read his name correctly. And Percy replies, no, I'm dead. Which is... <laughs> Touche. What a retort. Charon knows they're not dead. Percy says that they have to go to the underworld. Please, we have to go. And then all of the people in the lobby start hustling and bustling again. Previously, they were frozen. So I thought, so are they fake? Is this just to make the lobby look like it's busy? We'll learn in a little bit. Charon tells them, you should just leave while you can. And he says he'll take the coins and forget he ever saw them. And Percy says, no, no service, no tip. And he snatches the drachmas back. And then people in the lobby start banging on the elevator doors, which terrifying feels like it's getting more intense here. Percy then makes a show of how much they have by taunting, saying, oh, we've got all these drachmas and surely Hades can't be paying you enough. Love that this is his new style, is trying to charm and sass people into getting what he wants. Yep. And Karen says, no way, definitely not paying me enough to babysit these spirits. So he has clarified. It is spirits. They are clearly waiting to go into the underworld. And this makes sense where he was telling them you'd have to sit here and wait. These people are in that boat. Percy keeps hyping up. 
Charon and stacking drachmas on his desk while doing so. Such a power move. It's so good. It's so smooth. And then Percy says, I could mention a pay raise while I'm talking to Hades. <laughs> and Charon sighs and says, the boat's almost full anyway. I might as well add you three and be off. Love it. It worked. Let's go. Incredible. I also am so curious as to what Charon spends his money on other than, you know, like clothes. Like, what does he need? Like, does he live there? Like, does he have an apartment in West Hollywood? Like, what's his deal? I'm so curious. It's got to be the clothes. Yeah. The clothes for sure. But also, and this is something I know from the game, Charon is all about gold coins. He mm. loves gold coins. In Hades the video game, he's very different. He is kind of like an NPC. He runs a shop. Every now and then you will go to Charon's shop in between levels where you fight bad guys. And then you get coins as you fight through the levels. And then you can use the coins to buy power-ups or health or whatever. Gotcha. I won't give many spoilers about what happens, but his character gets a little further developed. But what's very funny is that Charon in Hades is just this big skeleton in a big hat, and he has a big oar because he's the boatsman, and he right. doesn't speak. He just moans and grumbles and groans. <laughs> so it's funny to have this well-dressed, fancy suit, hair, shirt, everything, Charon, this suave chatterbox, as opposed to spirit that just wears a big cloak and just goes <laughs> like it's always H-R-N-G-G-G-G-G is all it says for the text. That's amazing. So Charon opens the elevators, tells the spirits to stay put and not to turn off his Muzak, which they noted that Muzak, which is the brand name of elevator music, was playing. He told them, don't turn off my easy listening music. But earlier in the chapter, they referred to it by the more fun name Muzak. And he then closes the doors. Annabeth then asks what happens to the lobby spirits. And he says nothing. They stay there forever unless he's feeling generous. So that makes sense. They would have just had to have waited there until there was an open spot or whatever. So the elevator goes down, but then forward. And the only thing I could think of was Tower of Terror, because you go up and then forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was thinking of um, Charlie and the Glass Elevator, because that oh. moves in every direction, right? But it's right. totally Tower of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> but though this elevator doesn't say that it's going to break through the glass ceiling of the chocolate factory. That's true. Or enter the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. But it is entering the death zone, if you That's will. That's true. <laughs> So the clothes of the spirits who are along with them in the elevator, at this point, they turn into gray hooded robes. And Charon's creamy suit also turns into a robe. And his glasses go away, as do his eyes. It is similar to Ares, but they are just totally dark. And the flesh of his face becomes transparent so you can see his skull. And then I wrote, now this is the Charon I know and love. I love the way, too, that Percy describes it. Like, the fact yeah. that he's like, I think that Charon is smiling at me, and then I just realize that I can see his skull. Like, that transition of, like, you're smiling, oh my god, no, you have no face, is so good. It's also good because the vibe that I was getting, the person I was imagining, had an ear-to-ear -ear grin on the whole time. Like, he really takes delight in their suffering. And I think the transition of him already being in full smile, but then fading to skeleton would be very cool. And yeah. also similar to Pirates of the Caribbean, where, you know, his oh God, face totally. fades away and then he goes, you heard of fairy tales? Or I guess he'd be like, you've heard of Greek mythological folklore stories. Well, you're in one. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> so the elevator then becomes a wooden barge atop a dark, oily river. And this, of course, is the River Styx. And it is dark and oily because it is polluted, as Charon notes. He says, quote, For thousands of years, you humans have been throwing in everything as you come across. Hopes, dreams, wishes that never came true. Irresponsible waste management, if you ask me. And if you ask me, I would say, okay, yeah, but how do you throw that away? Like, how does that work? How do you throw these things? I guess it's just as their spirits, they lose these things. And I don't really know. Yeah, I guess. And also, like, Karen, isn't this your river? Like, wouldn't you be in charge of the waste management stuff? Like, <laughs> it's not a human's fault. They're dead. They can't clean up your river for you. The other thing I found interesting here is that I did not picture the river sticks as oily and pollution-y, but I think that's a really fun take on it. I'm probably skewed because in Hades, the video game, it's kind of like a river of blood, which is also, you know, very much a vibe in hell. Very cool. <laughs> but I think oily is a different take I wasn't expecting, but I think it's really cool and it makes for a fun visual. Yeah. This underworld, as they describe here and as they continue to describe later in the chapter, it just feels overwhelmingly black and gray and drab. It's yeah. just so dark. It just feels incredibly dark everywhere. And now the river on top of all of that is black. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, there's a degree of despair and like a feeling of being trapped in this particular underworld versus like, it's not like a haunted house. It's more of just like a void almost, you know, yeah. just like it's so sapped of anything, which is scary in its own way, I think. Right. There aren't a lot of scary elements added. There aren't skulls everywhere or fire or whatever else traditionally goes along with hell, underworld, whatever, the bad place. It's just dark and there's nothing good there. Yeah. And then we'll get into this later, but just when you think the hell can't be drab enough, it has airport security in it. <laughs> I was already thinking this is the worst thing ever. And then it's, oh, it got worse. Oh, it got worse. <laughs> it got worse somehow. So they approach the shore. And the shore glimmers in a greenish light. So black and green is certainly a different vibe than your traditional red fire hell yeah. or even Hades from Hercules blue fire hell. This felt very unique. And I really liked the description. It was good. Mm -hmm. Annabeth grabs Percy's hand, which I thought was very cool because yes. whether it's friendly or romantically, I just love them together in whatever form it takes. And I love that this is happening. He says that normally he would have been embarrassed Come on, Percy. <laughs> but he knows how she feels. She wanted reassurance that someone else on this boat was alive, which deep, yeah. deep stuff. And they're both so like reluctant to be vulnerable all the time. That That's such a sweet moment. Mm -hmm. A very sweet moment. And then a very chilling set of lines from narrator Percy. I found myself muttering a prayer, though I wasn't quite sure who I was praying to. Down here, only one God mattered, and he was the one I had come to confront. What a line! Dun, dun, oh, dun. Man, yeah. oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so then they hear a growl, and Charon says, Oh, looks like old Three-Face is hungry. So this is clearly Cerberus. And I am skewed in Cerberus because in Hades, the video game, Cerberus is just your pet dog. Right. <laughs> like, he's just big, fluffy dog that you pet. Yes, he guards the underworld, but you bribe him with a sack of, funnily enough, satyr meat, because satyrs are bad guys. You destroy satyrs, you get a sack of meat, and then you give it to him, and then you don't have to fight him, and then you just go on into the next area. So for me, my most recent 
experience with Cerberus is, oh yeah, your dog friend that you get to play with. And I know in every other iteration ever, Cerberus is very evil and you don't like him, but it was a snapback to, oh right, Cerberus is traditionally a bad guy. No, but it's so funny because like, I haven't played Hades, but I had sort of the same reaction just because it's like, he's just a big puppy. He's just a dog. <laughs> you know, he's so cute. <laughs> he's just the goodest boy. <laughs> yeah. So the boat slides into black sand. Spirits begin to depart. One of them is Percy's age, which is very saddening. Yeah, very dark. So dark. Karen says, quote, I'd wish you luck, mate, but there isn't any down here. Mind you, don't forget to mention my pay raise. Love it. Karen <laughs> on task. He then sets off humming Barry Manilow. And there is a 0% chance that 12-year-old Percy Jackson <laughs> knows who Barry Manilow is unless... Sally Jackson is wildly obsessed with Barry Manilow. I was going to say, like, if she's the biggest Barry Manilow fan in the world, I could see him knowing Barry. But you're right. That does make any sense. <laughs> yeah, that was very much, oh, a 50-year-old man wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like there are other people that a 12-year-old in 2005 would know. I feel like you could pick Billy Joel. I feel like is a big enough name where you would know that. But Barry Manilow is just niche enough where Sally's got to be a huge Barry Manilow fan. Yeah, I knew who Barry Manilow was in 2005. Well, maybe a little bit later because Angel sings Barry Manilow karaoke in the TV show Angel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I was obsessed with as a teen. <laughs> I know who Barry Manilow was because I knew who Rod Stewart was and they look kind of similar, they but their vibes similar. are very different. Yeah. And I remember seeing some sort of thing and asking my dad, who basically bottle fed me on classic rock when I was growing up. <laughs> I said, that's Rod Stewart. And he goes, no, that's Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> very different thing. <laughs> very different. But yes, he does look very similar. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode's Lightning Brief. First, I'm recording this on December 17th, 2021, and the new variant is making things look pretty dire out there. So I just wanted to wish everyone the safest possible next couple of months. If you are able to get vaccinated, please do so. If you're able to get boosted, please do so. Wear your mask. Be safe, please. I'm worried about the world right now, and that includes you, and I hope you can be as safe as humanly possible. Switching gears, though, I want to thank all of the folks who have supported the show on Patreon, and I also wanted to share some benefits of the Patreon that I've never expressed here on the pod before. First off, if I ever finish an episode early, I put it up for patrons to listen to. So if I'm a very productive boy in any given week, as a patron, you could hear that week's episode early. In addition to sometimes getting episodes early, you will always get the episodes ad-free if you listen on Patreon. So if that is an incentive for you to join, why don't you join? You'll get ad-free apps. And of course, this is all in addition to the bonus episodes and the monthly live streams and the director's commentaries and the audio extras and the bloopers and all the other things that come along with supporting the show on Patreon. Also, you'll get my undying gratitude because I very much appreciate all of the support. And speaking of appreciating that support, I want to thank the newest members of our team who have joined at the newestolympian.com slash Patreon. So shout out to our newest Ultra God patron, Kara Marin, and shout out to Ashton Gabrielson, who's been an Ultra God patron for a little bit, and I just missed Patreon letting me know that they were a patron. If this has happened to you, if I have not given your shout out and it's been more than a week, please send me a message. Sometimes I don't see the notifications, and I want to make sure that I thank all of you individually. Also want to give a shout out to our newest God tier patrons, Sophie Ashworth, Kelly Erber, Kika, Stephen Melia, 
and Lena During, and to our newest demigod patrons Ainsley Jones, Priscilla Deline, Diane Gordon, Andrew J. Croft, Leonie, and Sammy Misterka. If you want to be like one of these patrons and get access to a whole bunch of bonus content, you can do so by supporting the podcast at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. And speaking of support, want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. If you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, there are a whole bunch of podcasts from Multitude that you could listen to. One of those podcasts is our exclusive multi-crew member show, Head Heart Gut. The multi-crew is a way that you can support all of Multitude. You also get a bunch of cool Multitude bonus perks as a thank you for supporting us. You get access to Head Heart Gut, which is a friendly debate show where different Multitudes will argue in fun spirits about incredibly serious topics. Recently, I argued about Toy Story 2 being the best of the Pixar films. You can hear me and my competitors who are wrong discuss which is the best, and you'll have to just see if I am chosen to be the winner by the judge. You can learn more about Head Heart Gut and all of the multi-crew benefits if you go to multicrew.club today. And lastly, you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to podcast as a full-time job. Some of these ads will be read by me, others won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally, so if you live in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, which is where I'm recording this from, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in French or in English, because you guys really seem to like both. And once those ads are complete, we will get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This episode of The News Olympian is brought to you by Thrive Market. Now, at Camp Half-Blood, they are cooking up a whole bunch of fun stuff at the cafeteria. But we never really hear about where they supply all of the things for the cafeteria. I'm not sure where they get their stuff, but you know where they should get their stuff? Thrive Market. Thrive can be your go-to for all of your grocery and household essentials, and it has been my go-to. I've got a bunch of stuff from Thrive now, and I genuinely enjoy all of it. I've got Thrive trash bags, dishwashing detergent, snacks, rice, beans, things that wash my dishes, like scrub brushes and stuff. They have a lot of really great deals. I've been capitalizing on those deals, and I have truly been enjoying using Thrive Market. I love a lot of things about Thrive. I love that they only allow trusted top-quality ingredients while restricting harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And whether you are looking for organic kid snacks, high-protein essentials, whatever it is, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. They've got all these different filters and stuff like that, different categories. I utilize those when I was looking for particular items, and it was really easy to navigate the site. I always have a simple time finding what I'm looking for. And it's not just saving time. I'm saving money as a Thrive Market member. I'm looking at my stats right now. My average savings per order are $34.98. On my last order, I saved almost $50, and I got a whole bunch of things for my pantry. I got hand soap refills. I got chicken broth. I got rice. I got beans. I got kitchen towels. It was great. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash TNO for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash TNO, thrivemarket.com slash TNO, so you can be as well-stocked as the Camp Half-Blood cafeterias are today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. 
This episode of The News Olympian is brought to you by Straight River Coffee. If you've been listening to The News Olympian and you're thinking, my goodness, I would love to pair this podcast with a nice warm cup of joe, but not just any nice warm cup of joe, but specifically TNO branded coffee. Well, you are in luck because TNO coffee exists. That's right. We have partnered with Straight River Coffee, which is a small independent business that is made up of folks who listen to The News Olympian, and we have teamed up to make TNO coffee. So there is a specific roast from Straight River for coffee called Anna Clues Roast. I came up with the name. I think it's very good. And you can get a one pound bag of coffee from them if you go to the newsolympian.com slash merch. I'm not a coffee drinker, but multiple people have told me that the coffee tastes very good and smells incredible. And here's the description of the coffee from Straight River. Sourced from the finest fair trade beans, our collaborative blend boasts flavor notes of nutty caramel and rich chocolate, ensuring each sip transports you to a realm of excitement and wonder. It's cool. The bags were also made by an environmentally friendly bag company and the art design on the bags, which yes, is a pigeon drinking a cup of coffee. Those were made by another independent artist, Ava Hess, who does some incredible artwork as well. So it's a bunch of small businesses and independent creators teaming up to make this coffee happen. And it's really cool. And it also ships free internationally. So it doesn't matter if you live in the US or not the US. The price listed is the price. No extra shipping fees. It's super cool. And you can get a pound of this wonderful coffee delivered to you or multiple, I think. You, you can probably get more than one bag. I don't know. But go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch. Scroll down, click the link about the coffee, and then boom, you can get some Anna Clues roast in your cup today. And then you can perfectly pair TNO coffee with your TNO podcast. So the team follows the spirits to the entrance, which looks... It looks like a mix between airport security and the Jersey Turnpike. The two worst combination things in the world. As much as I love New Jersey, the Jersey Turnpike, which one, I gained a lot of respect for Rick, who I had poked fun at for messing up some New Jersey and New York stuff. Mm. But he was very right to call it just the Jersey Turnpike. Anyone who calls it the New Jersey Turnpike is either not from New Jersey or is the police. And (laughs) I appreciate that he was digging it because as much as I love my home state, the Jersey Turnpike is terrible. It's the worst. (laughs) It's horrifying because everyone on the Jersey Turnpike is just trying to get somewhere else very quickly. And the Jersey Turnpike is the most unforgiving highway because there's exits and you'll hear a classic New Jersey thing where people will quantify and locate where people live in New Jersey by what exit they're off of because the turnpike goes through the state and then there's just the exits and that's it. Like if you take the wrong exit or if you miss your exit, good luck. That's it. Yeah, you're done. You are adding 20 minutes at least. Always under construction. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm. Somewhere on the turnpike is always down to one lane. It's, oh God, it's just the worst. <laughs> it's super fast. There's a million lanes. If you miss an exit, you're screwed. It's yeah. the opposite of Texas where you could miss five exits in a row and still be okay because the whole state is just highways. <laughs> but also the tolling element of the Jersey Turnpike sucks. If you don't have easy tag, it is a mess because you have to get the little pieces of paper. And then depending on how far you go, you check it in and then you have to pay. It's a mess. Yeah. So to combine airport security, which was pretty bad until I became a TSA pre-check boy, and now I'll never go back. Same. That combined with Jersey Turnpike, yikes. Yikes. Especially airport security in 2005, because it had only just started. Like, it was like three or four years into airport security, so nobody knew what they were doing. Yeah, man. (laughs) Nothing was streamlined. Yeah. Oh, for 
sure. So that is a very, very picturesque description. I know exactly <laughs> how bad this place is. Yes. The archway reads, you are now entering Erebus. Erebus is another thing that I know from Hades, a video game. Erebus, though, is there's individual levels within Tartarus where instead of just fighting a bunch of bad guys, you have to fight everyone without getting hit a single time. And if you do, you get extra cool bonuses. But if you get hit a single time, when you eventually defeat all the bad guys, you just get a green onion to eat and <laughs> you only gain one health, which is very minimal. In Hades, your health is usually around 100. So it's oh my God. <laughs> basically nothing. It doesn't revive you very much. I think the green onion has some sort of Greek mythological story, but that is my knowledge of Erebus. So when they said the word, I Leo DiCaprio memed, oh, the word, I know this one. <laughs> I've played that one game. So then spirits form lines toward toll booths manned by robed folks like Charon, and one of them is called Easy Death, which <laughs> this Surely is the Jersey Turnpike thing, because I'm yes. pretty sure in 2005, TSA PreCheck did not exist. No. But in New Jersey, you have Easy Tag, which for sure existed in 2005, and that's where you can just drive through. So Easy Death, I thought, was very good. Yeah, yeah. So Annabeth guesses that these Easy Death folks go straight to Asphodel, which is a level in Hades, a video game. It's the second level. She says that they go straight to the Asphodel fields. She says that they don't want to risk judgment from the court because it might go against them. So it's kind of them taking the safe bet of I'll go to the medium place because I don't think I'm going to get in the good spot. I don't want to run the risk of being in the bad spot. I'm just going to cut my losses. Yeah, like pleading guilty, even though you didn't do it just to get an, an easier sentence. It's a very good way to put it. That's why you write books. <laughs> Metaphors. <laughs> So Percy asks a court for dead people, and Annabeth replies, quote, yeah, three judges. They switch around who sits on the bench. King Minos, Thomas Jefferson, Shakespeare, people like that. Sometimes they look at a life and decide that person needs a special reward, the Fields of Elysium, also a level in Hades. Sometimes they decide on punishment, but most people, well, they just lived. Nothing special, good or bad, so they go to the Asphodel Fields. Percy asks what that would be like, and Grover tells him to imagine being in a wheat field in Kansas forever. And Percy thinks that that's harsh, and I thought, yeah, it feels like some Kansas shade. But Grover <laughs> says it isn't as harsh as that, which I know some folks have been upset with how their state gets represented. St. Louis people, pretty happy with how it went down. Denver gets needlessly dunked on, and they don't do anything yeah. in Denver They're at there for all. Two minutes. Yeah, Rick is just like Denver, <laughs> sad trombone. <laughs> Vegas, I guess, feels very Vegasy, where it's just limited to the Sunset Strip stuff, Sin City element of it. But Kansas, I don't know. I've never been to Kansas, but it feels fine. A big yeah. wheat field sounds relaxing. Also, yeah, like between the choice of a wheat field in Kansas over, like, being tortured for the rest of time. Like, yeah, yeah, that sounds okay. And also, like, the Elysian fields are also just fields, aren't they? So they're just nicer fields. Yeah, I guess they're fancier, though. It's like if a field was turned into an all-inclusive resort. Right. I imagine yeah. Elysium is an all-inclusive resort, which I have only done an all-inclusive resort once in my life because I'm not a fancy boy. <laughs> it was after my wedding. It was the honeymoon. And let me tell you. In the world before I did an all-inclusive resort, I thought, that sounds like a boring vacation. Who would ever do that? And then I went to an all-inclusive resort. <laughs> and 
let me tell you, reading books on the beach and just eating already paid for food and drinks. <sighs> and maybe I'm old, but that no. slapped hard, man. <laughs> I went once to like an all-inclusive esque resort thing with my parents once when I was like 17, just like as a was sort of winter escape. And like, yeah, it does not suck. And like, <laughs> I couldn't even drink alcohol at that point. I still had a great time. Granted, as a 17 year old, I was already the person that just likes to sit around and read books. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's great. It's very good. Kelly and I even on the last day we were there, dinner at the three different restaurants they had would open at either six or seven and then would close at 10. So we ate dinner at the moment it opened and then at 9.50 so that we could maximize our free food <laughs> before having to leave. That's incredible. It was really good. <laughs> so they look at one spirit who Percy recognizes as a televangelist from upstate New York that he saw on the TVs at Yancey in the dorms. This televangelist who will just pick a random name out of a hat, Joel Osteen. Joel <laughs> Osteen apparently raised millions for orphanages, but got caught spending it on his mansion, adding gold-plated toilet seats and an indoor putt-putt golf course. That doesn't sound right. I don't think a televangelist would ever do that. <laughs> no, Joel Osteen, he doesn't have a private plane that he calls the Jesus plane or something. He no, has some terrible not. name that I'm not even going to give. But also, indoor putt-putt golf course is... One of the worst ways to spend money. That is exceedingly boring. It's so stupid. I'm so glad that this person was being dragged to hell. Yes. And apparently Joel Osteen died in a police chase by driving his Lamborghini for the Lord. And when they said that, I said, wow, that is incredibly on brand for a televangelist. <laughs> he drove his Lamborghini for the Lord off a cliff. Love this. Proper ending. Uncle Rick taking shots at televangelists. I already loved Uncle Rick. I love him even more somehow. This is so good. Such a good drag. So, so accurate. Good. Gosh, amazing. I guarantee there's some like mega church preacher who's wealthy who has a Lamborghini for the Lord somewhere in America. Like that is a person that exists. <laughs> yes. I keep saying this and I need to make sure I document this. I, I do transcripts for the episodes so I can control F this, but I keep coming up with silly questions to ask Rick if I ever have Rick Riordan on the pod and just never ask him anything like, what's it was like to write the books? No, it'll just be specific things. And one of these will be, what televangelist was this based off Who of? Who are you thinking of? Because there are a few to choose from. Who did you have in mind? Because this feels like you had a specific person in mind. <laughs> yeah, you had a gripe. <laughs> <laughs> so Percy asks what they're doing to him. Grover says there is a special place for punishment in Hades. The kindly ones will set up eternal torture for him. And I thought, oh, like Sisyphus. So Percy brings up that he's a preacher and doesn't he believe in a different hell? And I really like what happens here. Grover shrugs and says, quote, who says he's seeing this place the way we're seeing it? Humans see what they want to see. You're very stubborn er, persistent that way. And I even like that Grover tries to use the friendlier term here. Yeah. What a lad. It's so <laughs> fantastic. But I also, this is just a cool way to think about it. I think it's very fun. And yeah. it also reminds me of the thing that we will never be able to prove if two people see color the same way. Yeah. What I think is blue, you could think is orange and we'll just never know ever. And that's super cool. And this is a similar fun way to universe and world build here. Yeah. So I think one of the trickiest things about any kind of fantasy or like supernatural series that starts to dip into any kind of religion, whether it's like an ancient religion like this or, or modern religion like Christianity, is that then you have to kind of make a determination about like, okay, well then is there like 
a thing that's right in this world? Like, is mm-hmm. there a real religion? Like, is there a real God? And I love that this, like, one interaction sort of solidifies, like, yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, who believes in a God or several gods is still experiencing this thing, but just sort of through whatever lens they believe. And so it's like you're still able to sort of respect people's beliefs while keeping your own world building intact, which I think is really cool. It's pretty cool. And I also think it's a nice way of just viewing religion and stuff of just kind of, I don't know, I grew up Catholic and still go to Catholic church and all that kind of stuff. But I'm very much on team. We're all rooting for the same guy in different ways sort of yeah, deal. Like yeah. I've never understood whether it's within Christianity where people say, oh, mine's right, but Presbyterians are wrong or <laughs> yeah. whatever. Or even people are like, oh, I'm right, but people who believe in Hinduism are wrong. It's like, what is the point? Yeah. Also, you're clearly not doing this right because the whole thing is just, yo, be nice. <laughs> I, I will never understand any of that ever. Everybody's core belief, regardless of whether or not they believe in like a god or gods, should just be be nice. And yeah. then like the only distinction we should have is like, do you believe in a higher power and do you not? Both of those things are cool. Great. Like the fact that there's like divisions between those beliefs is like, bonkers. And it's fine for there to be divisions, but to hold grudges and gripes against people who do it differently? Just, exactly. Yes. I don't get it. If you were born in a different country, you probably would be practicing a different religion if one at all. Like It's so wild to me. It's like everybody liking different types of chocolate and then getting angry <laughs> that that person likes white chocolate over dark chocolate. It's like, you guys still both like chocolate. Like, what are you talking about? Except white chocolate's not really chocolate, right? Isn't it something else and it's different? I don't know. I think white chocolate's disgusting. I mean, yeah, this is maybe not the best metaphor. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. Or like ice cream flavors. There right? we go. There we go. Yes. Like, I don't necessarily like Rocky Road, but I don't think that people who like Rocky Road are bad because <laughs> we all like ice cream. Right. Yes. And I think this can just extend to life where I'm not going to listen to certain artists, but like, I don't know, don't yuck someone's yum unless exactly. it's like yeah. objectively a bad thing that's immoral. But like, right. if someone likes Nickelback, just bite your tongue. Then great. Yeah. <laughs> they have something that brings them joy and isn't that the point of life? <laughs> right. And the thing is not harming anyone. Right. That is like the difference. Like, as long as the thing that brings you joy is not harming anybody. Right. That's a caveat about everything we've just talked about for the past couple yes. minutes. It's clearly <laughs> everything is prefaced with as long as it's not harming yeah, anyone. Yeah, <laughs> obviously some of these are more than just gripes, right? right, right. They're like <laughs> millennia-long bloody conflicts. There are certainly subsections of religions that harm people and do stuff like, I'm not going to bat for the Westboro Baptist Church. Those no. people can get screwed. <laughs> That's totally different. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So... They meet Cerberus, and he is very different. He's a purebred Rottweiler. He is enormous, but at first, he's described as being mostly invisible. But then Percy starts to see him better and better and asks why, and Annabeth says it's because they're getting closer to death, which is... Oh, that's heroin. Not super comforting. <laughs> yeah. So narrator Percy says, quote, the dog's middle head craned toward us. It sniffed the air and growled. And then Percy says, it can smell the living. And Grover says, but that's okay. But Grover is trembling while he says this and says, because we have a plan. And Annabeth says, right. But then narrator Percy says, I'd never heard her voice sound quite so small. And then she continues, a plan, which... Big oof here. Not feeling great about this situation. Not a lot of confidence going into this. Mm -mm. Minimal at best. So they approach Cerberus. The middlehead barks loudly. Percy asks if Grover can understand it. Grover says yes. And when Percy asks what Cerberus said, Grover says that humans don't have a four-letter word that translates well. (laughs) 
So what I'm gathering here, and I have kept this podcast family friendly so that A, people of all ages can listen, because when I started to make other podcasts, I assumed everyone would be an adult, and then people would email me, I'm 12 and I love your podcast, and I would say, don't curse like I do, please. (laughs) It's a bad habit, I need to shake it. That, also I'm growing up, also I have a niece who repeats things I say, (laughs) all of these factors. (laughs) However, I am just imagining the dog just saying the dog equivalent of whatever word I would scream here and then would get bleeped. Yeah. It's also just strange out of context because let's just say that this curse word, I'm trying to think of an innocent four-letter word that I could just yell. We'll just say poop. Okay. Uh, So it would be like if, but pretend instead of I'm saying poop, I'm saying one of the other ones. It would be like Cerberus goes, poop! Is he that angry that he's just exploding? He's alarmed. (laughs) He's just letting out this expletive. Just, oh, no! (laughs) God, live humans! (laughs) It's just funny that Grover specifically says a four-letter curse word. Because when I think of that, I think of ones that you use to express disapproval. Yes. But not necessarily him... It's, like, not direct. It's like he's saying it to the sky, just like, ah, damn! (laughs) Yeah. Oh, which is, oh, it's very, very good. So Percy takes out, this is the plan, apparently. He takes out a broken off bedpost from one of Krusty's bed frames and tries to play fetch with Cerberus. And Cerberus is just unfazed. Absolutely unfazed. And speaking of words that we can't spell and stuff, as Percy had trouble with Chiron Charon and his dyslexia earlier, I will never not type unfazed as u-n-p-h-a-s-e-d unfazed with an f and a z just looks wrong that looks like a startup company took the word unfazed and said no we're unfazed (laughs) that's so funny i don't know it just feels like it should be phase p-h-a-s-e i don't understand i've never even thought about that (laughs) i just can't get over it (laughs) I love, too, that, like, the whole chapter, there's this buildup of, like, all right, we have a plan. And, like, you know, you think it's going to be elaborate and involve the three of them each doing different things to try and get into the underworld. And it's like, we brought a big stick for the big dog. (laughs) That's the whole plan. And then the plan that actually ends up working is we got a big ball for the big dog. It's not much better. (laughs) Exactly. So Cerberus is completely unfazed. He growls, which Grover translates into saying that they have 10 seconds to pray to the god of their choice, but after that, he's hungry. Now, I don't know if Cerberus said all of this. If he did, Cerberus is very witty. Yeah. And I like this. (laughs) And respectful. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to make an assumption about what religion you are. Pray (laughs) to your god and then I'll eat you. (laughs) Pretty good. Annabeth then pulls out a Waterland rubber ball. This is fantastic. And she gets Cerberus to sit. Now, I'm imagining a big red kickball here. That's exactly what I was picturing, too. I think this was a good use of ball, but also that would take up 50 to 75% of the backpack. Yeah. Right? This isn't a bag of holding. It's just a standard backpack, right? Right. And also, why did she, was she thinking ahead to Cerberus? Like, she knew that they were going to the underworld? Like, did she, incredible uh, foresight. Especially because Percy is carrying the backpack the whole way along the journey. It feels like at some point, Percy would say, Annabeth, can I get rid of this kickball? Why are we carrying this? <laughs> it's crushing the double stuff Oreos. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I don't know if maybe it was unsaid or maybe she had this plan long ago. Because, yeah, Annabeth knew this was going to have to happen yeah. at some point. So I get it. But it's just very funny that Percy has been carrying around. Because I don't know if they mentioned this in the Waterland chapter. Because they said they took some other stuff like clothes and That's all that. That's true. Yeah. But I don't know if it mentioned, oh, yeah, also a kickball's in my backpack. <laughs> Maybe it's like foam and they somehow were able to like squish it down a lot. Or maybe it was flattened and Annabeth really quickly pulled out a bike pump. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets Cerberus to sit. And then you get a great quote from narrator Percy. Quote, I was sure that at any moment she would become the world's largest milk bone dog biscuit. (laughs) So Cerberus sits and crushes a bunch of spirits behind him and they just turn into mist. I'm assuming they're going to rematerialize somewhere else. I would think so. I also thought this was funny because this is what happens in Hades the video game. If you run into some of the spirits that are just chilling around, they poof away into mist. And I do make sure that these all 100% poof away before I go into the level because (laughs) I am a completionist true and true and I need to do everything because what if there's an achievement for doing this? Right, of course. (laughs) Have to be sure. This is why I can't play RPG games traditionally because I would just do everything. I know you're a huge fan of Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2 Orange Dead Redemption, but (laughs) I couldn't do it because I will talk to every single person. I will go in every single room. I will open every single chest. I will do every side quest. This is why it takes me 50-something hours of gameplay to beat any of the Kingdom Hearts games. Oh, I mean, I'm less that way when it comes to, like, like, I don't have Red Dead 2 completed because you have to, like, hunt all the animals and, like, get all of these particular, like, plants and things like that. And I care a little bit less about that. But I definitely have gone into every single building, opened every single drawer, (laughs) met every person you can talk to, done all the side quests. And, like, I just finished uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, and I just finished, like, the main story, and I'm 122 hours into the game. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And I still have, like, side quests to do and stuff. I mean, I can completely sympathize. Yeah. (laughs) So, Cybra sits on the spirits, they whoosh away, and Annabeth throws the big red ball to Cerberus. The middle head catches it, and the other heads try to bite it as well. Annabeth commands for Cerberus to drop it, and Cerberus does. Annabeth then picks up the ball, tells Grover and Percy to go through the easy death line, and tells Cerberus to stay if he wants to get the ball back. Percy and Grover then go through. Annabeth throws the ball to the left head. And I know the heads have different personalities. I don't know if they have canonically different personalities. Yeah, I don't know. So I will run this by Dr. Moya. But I know in Hades, the middle one's kind of normal. I think the left one's kind of goofy and the right one's kind of intense, which does remind me of the hyenas from The Lion King. Oh my God, totally. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know which head she threw it to, but she threw it to the left head. And the other heads go after it. Annabeth sneaks through. Percy asks her how she was able to pull that off, and Annabeth says, obedience school. Apparently her dad had a Doberman, took the Doberman to obedience school. That explains it, explains the chapter title. I do like, and I think it's better, that Annabeth doing obedience school is not her going through obedience school. Right. But originally I did think, well, they are going to the underworld, and I guess Annabeth doesn't like being told what to do, so maybe her personal hell is being told what to do. (laughs) That was my initial (laughs) guess there. This is way better. (laughs) I would read that chapter, though, just like the three of them going through their personal hells. What would be your personal hell if you had a Sisyphus-type punishment? And it can be a silly, goofy version, not like an actual, you know, sad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the actual version probably would have something to do with spiders, but I think the silly, goofy version would be like... 
hearing the first like couple of notes of a song that I know but can't place <gasps> oh. and just like only hearing that bit of the song over and over again but oh. I'm never able to figure out what song it is. I think mine would be there's a couple of dishes that I cook that involve putting rice into the dish and then the the rice softens in it so you mm-hmm. don't get to use a rice cooker or cook the rice separately. So the biggest one that I do this for is jambalaya. It's kind of different every time. Sometimes the tomatoes are waterier or whatever and it'll take different times. I feel like my personal hell would be a dish like that being just about ready to eat, but not just right. The rice is a little too al dente to be good and you need it to soften a little bit more. And it's just that forever, but you can't just let it sit because otherwise things will cake onto the bottom of your pot. So it's just me continually stirring and checking on it, but it never improves. Oh no, (laughs) that would be terrible. (laughs) Then I'm worried that there's going to be damage to my pot because I care a lot about my Le Creuset Dutch oven because it was given to me off the registry because I could not drop that much money on my own. That is the whole purpose of a registry is to get Le Creuset things. And I'd be like, there's going to be burn marks in the bottom. It's been on the stove too long. That's my personal help. So they are not totally in the clear. Because Cerberus has destroyed the ball and is looking for another. And I don't think Percy has a second one in the backpack. They race through the metal detector type gates. They set off a bunch of alarms doing so. They just keep on running and they hide. They hear security guards running, asking for backup from the Furies. I think also at one point they call them security ghouls, which is very fun. Yes, it's very good. (laughs) Grover then murmurs, well, Percy, what have we learned today? And... Percy says that three-headed dogs prefer red rubber balls over sticks. And then Grover (laughs) says, no, we've learned that your plans really bite, which is a good pun. But I agree with Percy because Percy, as the narrator, defends his idea. But I'm pretty sure Grover was just making the joke. I don't think Grover's actually saying that Percy's plan was bad. But narrator Percy interprets it as Grover saying his plan was bad. The plans were basically the same. So I think Percy's quote here of, oh, he likes balls more than sticks is pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. It feels unlike Grover to like actually take a dig at Percy. So I do think that it was more of a, of a joke over the, anything else. Yeah, 100%. So then we get a quote to end the chapter from narrator Percy that says, quote, I thought about that as we waited for the ghouls to pass. I pretended not to see Annabeth wipe a tear from her cheek as she listened to the mournful keening of Cerberus in the distance longing for his new friend. So I like that Annabeth, I guess, because because she has been abandoned in her past, just cannot bring herself to abandon someone else, which is a a sad, touching note. But that's the end of this chapter and the end of this episode of The Newest Olympian. We did it! We did it indeed. But Lauren, thank you so much for joining on for this episode. It's been such a pleasure, such a delight. How do you feel about these two chapters, where we are in the story, etc.? I mean, it's getting really into the fun part, right? Like, these were two truly action-packed chapters. I mean, basically every chapter of this book moves at a breakneck pace, but there's something so fun about finally being in the underworld and knowing that, you know, Hades is just around the corner. So I'm excited for you to get to the next one. I'm very excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. I'm excited to see what the rest of the underworld looks like because we've not really seen a whole heck of a lot of it, which is exciting. What we've seen so far is really cool. I'm sure we're going to meet Hades. I'm really intrigued to see what the book's take on Hades is. Is it going to be the snarky Disney Hercules Hades? Is it going to be the really gruff, grumpy video game Hades? What's it going to be like? I'm super intrigued. I'm super on board. And I am excited to 
start reading the next chapter now that I'm allowed to contractually by my, uh, you know, the gods that make this podcast. <laughs> so, Lauren, thank you again. If people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you doing stuff? Yeah, you can just go to laurenchippen.com and see everything about my work. And then I am at Lauren Chippen on both Twitter and Instagram. So just give me a follow. Yes. And let me use this time here to say Lauren is very good at making podcasts and books. The Bright Sessions is phenomenal. All the Bright Sessions spinoff stuff is phenomenal. I am on the edge of my seat or wherever I am when I listen to them, whenever I do listen. And the books are good. Her stuff is good. This is genuine. You should check it all out. It's good, good stuff. Cannot give higher praise than to the things that you've made. You're good at making things. Thank you so much, Mike. Right back at you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, again, thanks for joining listeners. Thanks for listening. And until next time, when we figure out what the hell (laughs) is going on, I'll pursue you later. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Newest Olympian. The show is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you simply cannot get enough of the pod, there's a couple of different things that you can do. First, you can find us on social media. We're at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash the newest Olympian. You can go to our website, thenewestolympian.com. And if you go to thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon, you can listen to a bunch of bonus episodes, director's commentary, watch the old monthly live streams, tune in for the new ones, whole bunch of fun stuff there. Speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a shout out to our producer level patrons, Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Cooey, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hoskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Natanya Page, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bayfong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Griffin Dork, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Minka Dreesen, Can't I See We Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson the Twin, Sabrina Balsiger, Mooney B, Bony Pony, Harlan Christ, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burridge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Aiden Lipold, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, Martin Anvik, Abby Ryan, Josh Clements, Angela MF, Mary Baumgartner, Shannon Yvonne's Aguilar, Wise Girl, Alpacas are Hope, Finn TZ, Ribbon Monstrosity, Samantha McNamara, Tate Sasson, Emil Oscar Thomason, Roxas1912, Rafaela, Ashton Gabrielson, and Cara Marin. If you want to help out the show non-monetarily, you can tell a friend or a family member or a stranger about it. Spreading the show via word of mouth really helps a lot. Whether you post about it on social media or you reach out to someone directly or you send a chain mail like it's AOL in the 90s, any of those things would be very helpful and I would appreciate any of them. But I really just appreciate you listening to the show and I hope you tune in to our next episode where we cover most of chapter 19 of The Lightning Thief with Stephen Parra. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hello once again, it's me, ASMR Mike. This is a very special edition of ASMR Mike because I'm trying to talk for a full minute because of the previously mentioned issue where sometimes certain podcast players cut a minute of the episode short, which is why I exist in the first place. But I'm recording this in a bedroom in Canada where the heater likes to make some rumbly grumbly noises and it seems to make these rumble grumble noises every minute or two or so. So it would be quite the feat if I can talk for one full minute consecutively without it rumbly and grumblying. But so far, so good. Things are off to a a fantastic start, and I hope your day is off to a fantastic... Oh, here come the rumbles and the grumbles. But no, it's okay, because we're going to roll with this, because ASMR is all about weird noises sounding good. So enjoy uh, a couple more seconds of rumble grumbles, unless my audio cleanup software cleans it out. Thank you for listening.